0: Hello, this is William Fink and this is Chris Saturdays. Today is Saturday, November 24th, 2012. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight I have Sword Brethren here with me once again and we're going to present the fourth segment of this series against the Paul Bashers. Hello, Brian.
1: Hello, thank you for
0: having me on. How are we doing?
1: I'm all right, yourself? Praise Yahweh. I'm doing so.
0: The material being presented here tonight originally appeared in Clifton Emma Heiser's 91st and 92nd monthly Watchin- Watchman's Teaching Letters in December 2005 and January 2006. They were the third and fourth parts in a series which I had written originally for Cl- for Clifton back in October of 2005. With this, we will continue our presentation and response, and hopefully tonight wrap up our presentation of the Paul-bashing allegations of the so-called Dr. H. Graber. Of course, his first name is still a mystery to me. I have not seen it in print. Graber's allegations against the legitimacy of the Christian mission of the Apostle Paul have been Demonstrated to be quite sophistic and 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 or sophomoric. I don't. I don't they're terrible. They're just that they're full of um, bad premises, false premises, bad devices, and, and and poor interpretations of scripture and and poor reading. And, and we're going to continue to exposit that, and sadly that is necessary. This material on itself, by itself, and Brian, you may feel the same way, this material by itself is not worth addressing. It's only important to address this material because a lot of people in Christian identity who claim to be identity Christians have actually adopted this material and have taken to Paul bashing following the Jews of the first century A.D.
1: Right. I would say by itself, the material doesn't warrant a response. It would be like you're going for a math Ph.D. and your dissertation is 2 plus 2 equals 7. I would just say, well, you're an idiot, and I don't know how you made it this far, and tell them to come back when they had something worth looking at.
0: Well, well exactly, and that's, that, that's a good, and e- even though it's simplistic, that's a very good and very fair analogy, and, and good analogies are simple, right? Well, well um, if, if it weren't for the fact that I know many otherwise seemingly normal identity Christians who were caught up with H. Graber and Clayton Douglas and Joseph Jeffers and Brother Nazariah and, and the rest of the circus freak Paul Bashers. If I didn't know a lot of these people, then, then I would never address this material. There's a lot of... Um, of people who were taken in by this material. I'm going to give an example. And a lot of people told me this person was an intelligent young man. And I'm not going to say his name because he desires privacy. And I respect that. But the original developer of the website IsraelElect.com, which for, for, um, for, several, for, for the reasons and, and several circumstances I now control, that the original developer of that website was taken into paul bashing and and, and um he, he's otherwise he otherwise is a, a fairly intelligent young man but but and he did a lot of good work for the, for the Christian identity community israel elect has been a very well respected and, and 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 um outstanding website for many years except that he added the paul bashing Rhetoric of W. G. Finlay to the mix, and 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 to me, even though I control that site, I, I may leave it there, but I'll address it in future, in, in in my future work, Yahweh willing. Um, to to me, that spoils the entire mix, and and, and it spoils my impression of that young man and and how intelligent he is. I, I can't understand W. G. Finlay. And, and Clifton pointed this out. I think it's in his tape number 87, and 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 it's probably mentioned it at the end of this Graver lesson. If I didn't, yes, tape audio tape number 87. Finley's tapes were evidently numbered, and that's according to Clifton. Finley admitted getting his Paul bashing material from the Jewish Rabbi Joachim Prince. And and that's just incredible to me that a Christian would um, give heed to a Jew who's a critic of first century Christianity. I I mean, the last people we should listen to concerning Christianity are the Jews, especially identity Christians who are supposedly awakened to the Jewish lies and, and to the Jewish treachery. That have been behind all of their agendas these last several thousand
1: years. Well, one would think. One would think.
0: I know it's incredible to imagine that that's going on today, in in identity Christian circles, but it is, and and it's it it, it just. Uh, I don't know. I'm speechless sometimes to think about it. Okay. Would you like to? Um, to, to present what, what we listed here as reference R in, in reference Clifton's original writing, in, in Clifton's origi- original reproduction of this paper, I should say.
1: Reference R. Graeber states, the record of secular authors. Now I shall document a few quotes from secular authors concerning the professed Apostle Paul. From Paul the Man by Michael Grant, quote, Far from claiming to have known Jesus personally when he was alive, he, Paul, is asserting a knowledge about him superior in quality to anything that mere eyewitnesses of his life on earth could ever claim for themselves, such as Matthew, John, Peter, or James, for he had not been among their number and was anxious to assert superiority over them. He does not therefore think of himself as a disciple of the historic Jesus, as indeed he had not been, but a man commissioned by him after his death in events and a timing which relegated the actual details of his teachings during his former earthly life to comparative unimportance in Paul's eyes. No, no. I've written, I, let, let me comment. Michael Grant, uh, I'm sorry, did
0: you have something you wanted to add?
1: I, I've, never, I've never sensed this, though, in reading Paul, that he thought, you know, I'm, I'm better, all those other guys are just clowns and losers, and we need to listen to me, Paul, and ignore John and all the others. whoa, whoa. I, I've never...
0: Paul actually calls himself the least of the apostles, right? And, and, and first, Michael Grant fails miserably as a Christian, where he refers to Christ as, in, in, in the term, when he was alive, right? But because Christians believe that Christ is alive. Paul wasn't commissioned by a dead Christ. Paul doesn't consider himself a, a, a dis, Paul, Paul does consider himself a disciple of the historic Jesus, Once it's understood that Paul was commissioned by a living Christ, not by a dead Christ, Paul did not consider himself superior to the other apostles, and nowhere does he even infer such a thing, that this is a patently unfair um, criticism of Paul, and and Graeber's just adopting it for the sole purpose that it it is a criticism of Paul. That's the only, it's not fair at all. It's um Paul only states that he was not at all inferior to any other apostles. and there was a reason for that. Paul in in two Corinthians was addressing those who would Judaize the assembly at Corinth and and, and that's very clear in two Corinthians. it's very clear in his epistle to the Galatians that Paul is combating. Judaizers who, who were claiming to be apostles of Christ and tr- attempting to spoil Christianity by yoking Christians to the circumcision, to the laws of Moses, and, and to all the Phariseeism that went along with that in the first century. And, and I'll quote from 2 Corinthians 11.5, Paul says, for I reckon in nothing to, be, to have been inferior to those most eminent apostles. And in 2 Corinthians twelve eleven, he says, I have become foolish, you have compelled me. And he's saying that because of some of the analogies that he gave them. And he says, indeed, I ought to be joined by you, for in nothing I am inferior to those most eminent apostles, if also I am nothing. He's just claiming not to be inferior to them. He never claims to be their superior. Hmm. And he never tries to sell himself off as their superior. He does explain to the Galatians one what one disagreement that he had with Peter, and, and, and that disagreement and the reasons for it are illustrated in the book of Acts, in, in chapters 14, 15, 16, and um, Peter didn't answer it. And, and later on, Peter, writing his second epistle, actually approved of Paul and his ministry and his writings. So, so Peter, uh, I mean, it's pretty clear from Scripture that Peter was often corrected, and and, um, and was probably the most stubborn of the apostles. That that's just the way it is. That that's a fact. That's that that's in the Book of Acts and Paul's epistles. That's not addressed by the. By the Apostle Peter in his writing, so it must have been a, a valid complaint that Paul had with Peter. And Peter must have accepted the correction if he was later to endorse the work of Paul, well, which is clear to be did.
1: All right. Continue with Graeber? Yes. From Paul the Man by Michael Graeber, I'm sorry, by Michael Grant, quote, what is most surprising of all those familiar with modern ideas of Christianity is to discover that Paul, although he recognized that Jesus had come to earth in human form, believed that he had never been the Messiah in his lifetime, but only became this when he was declared the Son of God. He was proclaimed the Son of God by a mighty act in which he rose from the dead, referencing Romans 1 well, 4. This is a very poor understanding of Romans 1 well,
0: 4. Well, right. And we've illustrated that in, in past segments of this program because Graeber had raised this argument as if it were his own earlier in his paper. And we addressed it, I believe, last week or the week before in an earlier section of Graeber's Diatribe Against Paul. And he's just repeating it here, but this time it's repeated in the mouth of Michael Grant. It, it's, it, it's one of those what we had discussed the, um, the mistranslations in Paul's letters that the, the Paul Bashers... Um, Refuse to look at, even though the Paul Bashers in other areas in the Bible admit that there are many mistranslations, they refuse to examine the words of Paul from the original languages. Paul only said that Christ was distinguished as a son of God by his resurrection. Paul uses that as a rhetorical device to demonstrate to the Romans that there was something special about Jesus Christ, that, that he was Distinguished as a son of God. That he was the, the, you know, a man simply can't resurrect himself
1: from the dead. All right? Continue with Graver. Go on. From Androcles and the Lion by George Bernard Shaw. Wait a minute. Time out. George Bernard Shaw is a communist. Right. Now we're going to quote some novel he wrote.
0: Right. So
1: this is scholarly to quote to quote something from a novel written by a communist in a theological paper.
0: That's what Kraber doing. A That's what it is.
1: What we're going to see next to quote, you know, um, Stan Lee according to Spider-Man issue twelve.
0: <laughs> well, well, right, exactly, and this should automatically discredit. Um. Yeah, yeah, you know, it doesn't automatically discredit all Paul Bashers, but it automatically discredits Graeber. And and anyone who's a Christian, I don't care what your feelings are about the Apostle Paul, anyone who's a Christian who comes to these points in Graeber's paper and reads them should dismiss Graeber entirely and immediately.
1: All right. From Androcles and the Lion by George Bernard Shaw, quote. Howbeit Paul succeeded in stealing the image of Christ crucified for the figurehead of his salvationist vessel with its Adam posing as the natural man. Its doctrine of original sin and its damnation avoidable only by faith in the sacrifice on the cross. And no sooner had Jesus knocked over the dragon of superstition than Paul boldly set it on its legs again in the name of Jesus.
0: Now now the dragon of superstition, right, that's funny that the, um, Christ exposed a living, walking, talking, breathing dragon. In fact, he exposed an entire race of dragons. And, and what's odd is that George Bernard Shaw doesn't realize that, yet he was confederate with two Jews, and, and it's probable that Shaw was an Irishman, but, but he was confederate with two Jews, Israel Zangwill and Israel Cohen, in, in the creation of the philosophy called Fabian Socialism, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Christ recognized the, the Jews, the Christ deniers, for, for the devils that they were, and George Bernard Shaw is telling us that Christ only knocked over the dragon of superstition while he hangs out with a bunch of Antichrist bastards and, and, and formulates philosophies on, on their doctrines and beliefs.
1: And then someone claiming to be a scholarly CI theologian is now quoting a novel written by a Fabian socialist.
0: Who, who, who was in bed with Jews.
1: So th- th- this is scholarship, and this is truly academic. Let's quote, let's quote works of fiction. Well, well, it's incredible, and it's wrong.
0: I, I mean, anyone who's a student of Scripture would understand it. Israel, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, the wife of Yahweh in scripture right and and under the law the wife who commits adultery is is damned israel was what was damned israel was uh, if if israel the nation was judged by the law israel was damned unless yahweh god could free israel from the law this is the story of the bible by dying on, as Christ on the cross, Israel was freed from the law. Paul explains that, Romans chapter 7. Of course, the Jews would never want us to understand any of that. Daniel chapter 9 prophecies the, these things, as do many passages in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and in other of the prophets. George Bernard Shaw would never be able to understand any of this since he himself knows not the scripture, and and that's quite clear, and and since he's blinded by by Jewish ideas, Jewish thinking, and and the proof of that is in the pudding. The proof of that is in the fruits of his life. Paul was only teaching the fulfillment of those scriptures in Christ, the same scriptures which Christ himself tells us that he came to fulfill. Now, George Bernard Shaw was a Fabian socialist, and he was in bed with Jews. Being in philosophical league with Jews, we can hardly expect him, whether you think he's honest or not, being in philosophical league with Jews, we can hardly expect him to be an objective critic of anything Christian. All
1: right. To continue with Graeber now? Yes. From Paul the Man by Michael Grant. "...true, Paul denies that he is actually identifying the Torah with sinfulness. Is the law identical with sin? Of course not. Nevertheless, he goes much farther with his criticism of the law, apparently, than Jesus ever did. And by so doing, he denies the need or importance of the only ethical code the Jews possessed. Indeed, he is actually declaring that their code does more harm than good. True, that impression is contradicted, seemingly, by careful moral direction... Which he offers in other passages. Yet his description of the Jewish law remains on record. To justify this sensational rejection, he brings forth other positions as well. One of them calculates to appeal directly to those versed in Jewish tradition that Abraham, who was the traditional father of Israel and its monotheism and was regarded as a righteous man, managed perfectly well to win the goodwill of God before the Mosaic law ever existed. So the law cannot be regarded as indispensable for the purpose and its demotion is merely a return to the original covenant granted by God to Moses, Moses' ancestor Abraham, but frustrated by subsequent generations. And I wonder, how scholarly is it if you're only quoting from one source? So, so far he's quoted from a uh, a non-fiction author, Grant, repeatedly, and then he quotes from a communist who wrote a novel. So he he only has one non-fictional source in here, and he's quoting from it repeatedly. Right.
0: Uh, Grant was actually... Kind of writing lo- lo- loosely lo- loosely accurate biographies that 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 was his attempt anyway that
1: the uh, grant, correct me if from' but grant is mainly a historian he's not a theologian
0: right he was a historian the the um well well first grant you know grant sees contradictions between paul's um, moral teachings and his teachings on the law. And, and I would say that the contradictions only exist in Grant's mind because Grant really doesn't understand the relationship of Israel to God, the relationship of the law to the covenants, and, and the relationship of Israel to the law. I mean, it's clear that Grant doesn't understand that. The... the um, well, well, first, some simple misunderstandings. Abraham was not the founder of Israel. Yahweh was the founder of Israel, right? I mean, God was the, I, I have formed you, I created you. That, that, that's from Isaiah chapter 43. Yahweh is the founder, God is the founder of Israel, not Abraham. The, the law was not Jewish, except that the people calling themselves Jews today, have claimed it for their own. If Grant was a real historian, he would have recognized that the Jews of today aren't the Israelites of the Old Testament. The law is not Jewish. It could be considered Israelite, or it could be considered Hebrew. It was really God's law, and, and it's not even Hebrew or Israelite. It's God's law. And, and, and that's, that, that's uh, I mean, it's not Jewish by any means. Paul did not claim that the law did more harm than good. Paul only explained at length, and, and this is clear in Romans, in, in Romans from chapters 2 through 7, that having the law did not make men good. That's what Paul is explaining. Merely possessing the law did not bring about righteousness. That righteous behavior, and he explains this in Romans chapter 2, must come from the heart, and that God put that heart into man If man would only follow it, therefore Paul explained that while the natural man, the fleshly man with his lusts acted contrarily to the law, man following after that spirit which God put in in their hearts could live in a manner pleasing to God. The law, having the law itself, didn't make us righteous. That's what Paul is explaining in Romans the law was not rejected, but the passing of the law was a matter of prophecy, and that is clearly perceived in Daniel chapter 9. The passing of the law passed with the passing of the Old Covenant and the passing of the Levitical priesthood that enforced the law. Now, that law was a, a, a condition of the Old Covenant between the children of Israel And Yahweh, under that law, the children of Israel were liable to death because the wife had committed adultery against the husband. And the wife who commits adultery is liable to death. The husband put away the wife and promised the wife that she would not die, Jeremiah chapter 31. The only way the law could be fulfilled, and Christ came to fulfill the law, was for God, the husband, to die. That's the only way to let the children of Israel, the wife, off the hook. That's what Paul explains in Romans chapter 7. That's why Christ sacrificed himself for the children of Israel. If you don't understand that, you'll never understand why Christ died for our sins.
1: Well, now, the evangelicals, the mainstream Christians, we, we really can't expect them to understand the nature of salvation or why Christ had to come and die, but we would have a, a higher standard, a higher expectation for someone who claims to be an Israelite identity teacher, wouldn't we?
0: Well, well right, and, and Graver's claiming to be an Israelite identity teacher and bashing Paul at the same time. And, and, and he's, he's actually a member of, a, of an identity Christian church.
1: And he's using a novel written by a communist in a book perspective, history written by a historian to do so.
0: And from a Judeo-Christian perspective. And we understand, Christian identists understand that Judeo-Christians are never going to understand why Christ died for our sins and the relationship of Israel to the law. Judeo-Christians can never understand that because they can't understand, or they refuse to understand, the, the, um, the tribal nature of the covenants.
1: But what do they think that God was just sitting up in heaven with nothing else to do and he decided, there's been a lot of sin going on in the world. I think I'll send my son down to the world to suffer, die, and be resurrected and he'll redeem all the world from their sins. Well, well, right. It 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 cannot
0: cannot explain by any means how the death of Christ redeems the world from their sins. They can't explain that. They really
1: can't
0: explain it and they can't explain it properly, and they can't explain it at all in the context of the Old Testament. Only Christian identities can
1: explain it. To continue with Graeber. from Paul the Man by Michael Grant, quote, The faith which Paul himself came to hold and desired others to hold with him was faith in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the consequences of those events for mankind. This was by far the most important part of his beliefs and preachings and teachings, and it means that they are scarcely, that they scarcely be compared at all with those of Jesus. For even if Jesus in his last days came to foresee his own violent death as in some way redemptive, his idea, this idea, had not manifestly stood in the forefront of his ministry, which through his career had centered on the dawning and shortly to be consummated kingdom of God. It it was scarcely surprising that Paul showed so little interest in Jesus' life for what the two men preached was quite different, and the Christianity we have today is largely Paul's creation. I've seldom seen anybody who not only misspells words when he's writing, but when he's writing a quote or a passage from a book, he he, he makes six to seven mistakes. So Graeber is just terrible. He, he, He doesn't proofread his work. And I, I have a hard time reading and filing this because there are so many words misspelled and the punctuation is off.
0: Right. And some, If I make
1: a mistake, it, you know.
0: Somewhere in my papers, I had the original booklet and the words aren't misspelled. That, that There's hundreds of misspellings.
1: I'm assuming the historian Michael Grant proofreads his work before he publishes it.
0: <laughs> the, the, um, well, well, here Grant misrepresents the mission of Christ, right? In, in fact, it goes further than that. Grant blatantly lies about the the purpose of the ministry of Christ, right? John the Baptist called Christ the Lamb of God from the very beginning, pointing to the sacrificial death of Christ on behalf of God as the central point in the purpose of Christ. Christ talked about giving his life for his kinsmen several times in, in the Gospel. Christ said he was going to give his life for his kinsmen. Christ said that Christ told the apostles to pick up their cross and follow him long before he was actually crucified. Christ himself told the apostles that he would be crucified and resurrected. That is all described on many occasions in the Gospels. Now, Mark 14.9 and other verses showed that it was the intent of Christ that his gospel be announced throughout the whole world or society. And Paul's mission was a large and initial part of that. The gospel was to be preached in all of the nations, as Christ also recorded, having said, in Mark 13.10. Grant might be a historian, but he's obviously never read the New Testament. His um, Christ's words, that, that the gospel must be preached in all the nations... We're, we're actually fulfillment of prophecies found in the Old Testament, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 53, in Ezekiel chapter 34. What Graham could never understand is that those nations had sprung from the loins of Abraham, had descended from the dispersed, deported children of Israel. And Paul explains that in Romans chapter 4 if Grant were a real historian of antiquity, he should have realized that maybe he should look into that, why Paul was teaching that, why Paul was talking about Abraham being the forefather of the Romans, and why Paul was defining the faith of Abraham as the belief that his seed, his offspring, would become many nations, Grant obviously never looked, he claims to be a a historian of antiquity and never looked into any of this. It's said that Paul didn't show any interest in the life of Christ. Paul showed great interest in the life of Christ. But Paul didn't have to write about it because that wasn't his mission. Luke, Paul's constant companion, wrote a gospel account of the life of Christ. So why does Paul have to repeat that? There's no reason to repeat that. Why would Paul have to put a signature on that? There's no reason for Paul to have to put a signature on that. It was Luke's Gospel. Luke recorded it by compiling the records of eyewitnesses. He explains that in the beginning. And it shows that Paul and Luke together had an, extreme, an extremely um, deep interest in the life of Christ. The creation of that Gospel alone shows that. Paul must have been intimately familiar with that gospel, with Luke's gospel, because Paul and Luke were constant companions for many years. Now, Paul must have used that gospel in his teaching because Paul had no other gospel. Paul's letters, Paul's epistles are not his gospel. Paul's epistles are an application of the gospel to the world in which Paul lived, which he wrote because the various Christian assemblies wrote him asking him various questions, which necessitated the need for those epistles. They're didactic letters, for the most part, and and, and they're explaining how the gospel came to be, why the gospel was being sent out to certain people, who those people were, and how that applied in their daily lives. His letters are not his gospel. Luke, the gospel of Luke, represents Paul's gospel. If the term gospel is taken to mean a story of the life and, and the sayings of Christ, the good message, that's what the gospel is. And, um, Acts 19.8, concerning the kingdom of heaven, they're telling, that, that Graeber's trying to assert through this historian Michael Grant that Paul had no care for the king, to to preach the kingdom of heaven. Paul, uh, I'm sorry, at Acts 19.8, Luke says that Paul was in Ephesus, and I quote from the King James, that he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Paul preached the kingdom of heaven. He mentioned it in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 28, Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 15, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapters 1 and 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Timothy chapter 4, just get yourself a strong concordance, look up the word kingdom, go to Paul's epistles, you'll see all the places Paul mentioned, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Graber, Michael Grant, they're liars. It's incredible. They're liars, and it gets worse. The next accusation, the next secular author that Graeber quotes from is absolutely incredible.
1: Well, from Dr. Joachim Prince, president of the American Jewish Congress, quote, Saul of Tarsus is the real founder of the Christian church and the true architect of Christian theology. Consciously or unconsciously, Paul worked to establish the church in Rome and not Jerusalem. Suffice it to say... There is much history to support the claim that it was not Peter that established the Roman Catholic Church, but rather the professed Apostle Paul. So now um, we're we're accepting the head of the American Jewish Congress. I guess he's a valid source for commentary on Christianity.
0: We're not only accepting the head of the American Jewish Congress, but we're also accepting the Catholic claims that the apostles, the original apostles founded the Roman Catholic Church.
1: I don't think that holds water.
0: Neither of those claims hold water. Not, not none of them. Doctor Jacqueline Prince, his real name is really spelled P R I N Z, okay? Mm-hmm. But but it's commonly spelled Prince. Not I, I believe by W G Finlay as well as by um, Graber, but it's really P R I N Z. And this this rabbi was expelled from. Nazi Germany, from National Socialist Germany, I should say. I believe in 1937.
1: A, a little bit from his wiki page, it says, A German-American rabbi outspoken against Nazism. He was an American Jewish leader. He was the vice chairman of the World Jewish Congress, active member in the World Zionist Organization, and he participated in the 1963 Civil Rights March on Washington.
0: Yes, he did. But yeah,
1: that, he, he was also active in Bene B'rith. So... I mean, who, who who better to go to for commentary on Christianity? This is a stand up guy,
0: Sir King Jr. and and all the other Negro civil rights leaders. He he right. This man well, is a devil. he bro,
1: we know, Graeber was marching with them. Well,
0: well, I, I I would I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. He was holding the sign in the back. that the um, the problem is that what what Graber is not telling us is that Jacqueline Prince is a rabbi. Hmm. He was a rabbi all his life. He was a rabbi at 23 years old when he was expelled from Nazi Germany in 1937. Okay? This is Graeber's Record of the Secular Authors, right? Hmm. That's how Graeber titled this section, Record of the Secular Authors. So, so his secular authors are a historian writing supposed um, religious history, a communist who's in bed with Jews and, and, and Marxists, and a rabbi <laughs> who's the president of the American Jewish Congress. This is how dishonest the Paul Bashers are. All of the Paul Bashers, we're going to see, what, when we present the, um, the Clayton Douglas portion of this series on the Paul Bashers, we're going to see much more dishonesty. But this is absolutely dishonest. He, he, it's patently dishonest. It's a lie. This is the record of the secular authors. A Jewish rabbi?
1: Is I'm just waiting for, I'm the, I'm, I'm waiting for Graber to start quoting the town. But.
0: He should have been quoting the town. <laughs> and, and, and so many people in Christian identity have been sucked. Ralph Daigle, I hope you're listening, Ralph. Ralph Daigle's up there in Michigan and, and he's a, he was a dear friend of mine at one time, and and he he um, well in, in my early years, in my formative years, the years that I was studying Christian identity to, to um to be able to produce the work that I produced the last several years, uh, I, I've um Ralph Daigle was a dear friend and a close confidant, and we talked all the time. Well, well, Ralph Daigle followed Graber and, and Frank Smith and and in Maine and and um Gary Blackwell in Michigan and all these other clowns that just went off into paul bashing and they went off into paul bashing based primarily on this material that we're reading. And and I know that Ralph Bagel, I know that he still opens my emails, he still gets my Saxon messengers I can look at who opens my emails. Krustageni is a pretty high-tech operation, and, and Ralph Daigle's always there. So I hope he's listening to this program because it, it's all, all this Paul bashing. It is a bunch of sophistic and, and pretty childish lies. It's lies about Paul. It's lies about Christianity. It's lies about Christ. It, all of this is anti-Christ garbage. It's incredible, and and these grown men who who are, 40 years in Christian identity Ralph Dagle. when I met him and that was 15 years ago and he and he he got sucked in by this garbage it's incredible i don't believe it All right well well, well yeah, you know this um from my, here this is incredible, right? From Michael Grant, Graver offers a statement concerning 1-4 that he had already covered and, and some misrepresentations in the ministry of Christ and, and, and the total Judeo-Christian attitude uh, about the scriptures that, that identity Christians shouldn't have and shouldn't pay any attention to. They should know better. And, and, and then he's quoting from George Bernard Shaw concerning Paul. And Shaw's a communist. He's in bed with Jews, and, and then he's quoting Jocelyn Prince. It, it's absolutely incredible. I, I want to. Um, well, well, I'll go go on and 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 read reference T, and and I'll get on to George Bernard Shaw maybe a little later. All
1: right. Reference T. Graber states, I believe that contrary to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul teaches the doctrine of socialism and humanism, which establishes the foundations for a one-world government. So Paul's doing this, but then what are his communist, socialist, and rabbinical friends that he seems to be quoting? What are they, what are they trying exactly. to
0: establish? <laughs> exactly. He's using sources that are communist and socialist and humanist and accusing Paul of being a socialist <laughs> a humanist. That, that's in, that, that's Jewish treachery right there. That, that's a bait and switch, right? I, that's incredible. So
1: if if Graeber's not a Jew, he's certainly taking a move from their playbook. He,
0: he took this entire pamphlet from their playbook, I think. All of his accusations against Paul are taken from that playbook.
1: All right, to continue with Graeber... Now I have already exposed Graeber's... Well, well this business. is my way. That way, that's your, okay. That's your <laughs> right. Lineup.
0: Well, when, when we did the um, well, when we did the first segment of this program, I actually actually quoted from the very end of Graeber's paper, and, and I've omitted that portion here in this presentation. We're not going to get that far. <laughs> that the um, at, at the end of Graeber's paper, he called us. He, he insisted that we are each the captains of our own destiny. And if you remember in the first segment of this series, I explained how that, that using that assertion that we're all the captains of our own destiny,
1: He's a universalist.
0: That, that's humanism.
1: That, that's not
0: Christianity. Jesus Christ is the shepherd and bishop of our souls, right? And, and that's what the Apostle Peter calls him, right? And and we don't, as Paul says, we we don't have control over our own destiny. We were bought with a price. The children of Israel are owned by God. That's what that redemption is all about. We're not. Yahweh, our God, he's the captain captain of our destiny. And and Graber calling each of us the captains of our own destiny, well, well, he's basically betraying his own humanism. He's a secular, secular humanist who follows Jews and communists. He's not a Christian.
1: And Bill, beyond that, too, the idea that we're captains of our own destiny, aside from being humanistic, that's universalistic because it, it, it's strongly implying. Well, it, it's coming right out and saying that salvation is available to all, and we decide by our actions whether we're saved or not.
0: Well, well right, and, and, so. and that's... That's antithetical to Christianity, right?
1: Right, so he's a humanist and a universalist who uses rabbis and communists and Jews for his sources.
0: And, and that's the, this is some of, the, this is some of the, the material that the Paul Bashers rely on the most. These arguments of Graeber's, which are obviously all fallacious, these are the arguments that the Paul Bashers lean on the most.
1: And this work, I can barely even classify this as pseudo-scholarly. A ninth grader would probably see right through this.
0: Well, well you would hope, I would hope, but obviously a lot of men that, that, that um were, were supposedly well-established in identity Christianity haven't been able to see through this. They're, they're blinded by biases and prejudices, mostly due to the Judeo-Christian abuse of Paul's epistles and they bought right into this and and they took the ball and ran with it. And,
1: And I won't blame them for that, but they need to examine, look what company they're keeping. They're keeping company with a guy who all of his acceptable sources or what he calls acceptable secular mainstream sources, they're all communists and rabbis.
0: Right. By their own words. It's by his own words. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. It's so bad I couldn't make it up but this is the essence of Paul bashing. And it has no place in identity Christianity. It has to be addressed. I I don't like addressing this. I would like to do much more edifying things, but I have to address this because it is a poison in Christian identity. It's a Jewish poison. It's a vial of Jewish poison poured into the, the Christian identity community. And a great percentage of us have drank this poison. And and I would invite, and and I said this in the first segment of the series, I would invite any Paul basher, any Paul basher that thinks he knows his Bible, can come on here and talk to me about Paul at Tarsus. And and it's an open invitation. If you're a Paul basher, you go to christagenia.org, you hit the contact page, you get my email address, and, and you send me an email and we'll set it up ahead of time. And if you're a Paul basher and you think you're smart, we'll come and we'll talk about Paul Atarsis right here. If you think you've got arguments that can hold water, which, which I seriously doubt, I think you're a clown. But I'll talk to you, and I'll talk to you civilly if you'll have it. I tried to talk to Jerry Kirk. I said that in, in the first um, segment of, the, of this series. Jerry Kirk was invited to the Christoginian chat server. He came on the Christoginian chat server he had an agenda. He wouldn't listen to any argument, to any of my answers. He just wanted to forge forward with his agenda. It was built on a lot of obviously false premises. I knocked him out one at a time from underneath him. He didn't want to hear it. He wouldn't even acknowledge me on my own chat server. He just kept running his mouth, and, and I bitched him out and, and, and banned him and, and knocked him off my chat. I had to. I had no choice. And that's what he did. He he wouldn't listen to any reason whatsoever. He had an agenda. He thought he was smart. He was going to prove it. And the man's a fool, and he doesn't know his Bible at all. And, and H. Graber is basically representative of most of the Paul bashers. And there are craftier arguments, and and what which exist, but this is the that um, this is some of the supposedly best scholarship the, the Paul Bashers have.
1: This is the best scholarship they have.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Wow, I, I would think a, a monkey just hammering you know keys on a typewriter could come up with something better than this.
0: Well, let's move ahead because I can't wait to get to Section S two.
1: All right, reference S. Graber states. In light of all this information, we can conclude from scriptures and secular history that Paul worked in concert with many to establish the Catholic Church. Among them, of course, his companion, the professed apostle Luke, Clement I, Barnabas, Silas, Judas Barnabas, Timothy, Justice, Galio, Priscilla, and Aquila, Gaius, Aristarchus, and Alexander, and Gemalia And I'm wondering, how can we conclude that? He made, like, what, four paragraphs? He quoted a rabbi and a communist, and he thinks that that's enough to prove that Paul established the Catholic Church?
0: It, it's incredible that Paul is that the idea that Paul established the Catholic Church is incredible, right? And, well, and I, I've addressed that. Everything that Paul taught was absolutely contrary to what later became known as Roman Catholicism. And Roman Catholicism didn't exist as, as, as an as a um, officially recognized organization until after the 7th century AD. The the Roman Catholic Church, as we know it, couldn't have existed because it, it, it had no basis in authority. The bishops of Rome never had any authority outside of Rome until they were given that authority in Justinian's novels in the early 6th century A.D. Justinian, in his new law code, had decreed that the Bishop of Rome would be the head of all of the Christian bishops of of the empire. And and first, that decree only has weight within the empire when it was made, and the bishops of Rome never had any such authority, and it certainly was never an apostolic authority before that.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but at the time Paul's writing and at the time Paul's mission is going on, Christianity is a marginalized, underground movement that it has no authority. And if you want to call yourself the Bishop of Rome, you're liable to get thrown at a lions.
0: Well, well, right. It's recorded in Eusebius that um, certain bishops of Rome attempted to... Um, exert authority outside of Rome itself, and they were rebuffed by other bishops.
1: And also, just from a scholarly perspective, if you'd like to make a claim that Paul founded the Roman Catholic Church, it would require somewhere on the magnitude of several hundred pages or several thousand pages, not, you know, Four quotes from a communist and a rabbi in a, a poorly worded paragraph.
0: Well, well, actually, it's only Graeber, that the, the communists and the rabbis actually didn't even assert that. Graeber's asserting that on his own, and, and it's it's a ridiculous claim. It, it's simply a slander against Paul for a Christian for an identity Christian to accept the Roman Catholic Church's claims, which are. Bound, which are based on lies, and use them against Paul. I mean, that, that, that's, it, it's totally dishonest. That, for instance, um, he, he does mention one bishop of Rome in this list, and that's Clement I. Clement I was a bishop of Rome. I believe he may have been the third bishop of Rome. I forget, right? Well, well he followed Linus. I, I forget. I really don't remember. But Clement I was martyred all of the, the, the first 16 or 18 bishops of Rome were all martyred. They were all killed by the Romans. None of them have any connection whatsoever to the later bishops of Rome after the time of Constantine who were political opportunists and who sought to create what was later became the Roman Catholic Church. It took a decree of Justinian in the 6th century, even though they had sought it before that, they, were, they, they failed, and they took a decree of the emperor in the 6th century to create what we know as the Roman Catholic Church. And, and that didn't happen overnight. The Roman Catholic Church eventually grew out of the authority behind a decree, and that took several centuries. It's a very childish argument to blame Paul for the Roman Catholic Church and to list Timothy and Gamaliel and Alexander and, and whoever, whatever Alexander Graver is referring to. And and, and this is incredibly, incredibly um, deceptive, and, and, and it's stupid in a very simple sort of way. It's just outright stupid.
1: He's not referring to Alexander I, is he, the Pope? The, the, the people, or the, the Alexander that um, the Romans claim was one of the popes.
0: Well, well that's possible, but, but I don't see which Alexander he's referring to because he's supposed to be referring to Bible characters. Clement wasn't a Bible character.
1: And just because the Roman Catholic Church claims him in the lineage of popes, it doesn't make him a pope.
0: Right, and, and Clement could not have known Paul personally. not not so far as i can calculate all right
1: the um the
0: the, the inclusion of gamaliel in, in this list of paul's associates gamaliel paul said that he he learned at the feet of gamaliel and as, as a child But there's no connection with the ministry of Paul and Gamaliel whatsoever in the Bible. Gamaliel is not a Christian. He's never portrayed as a Christian in Scripture. He's only mentioned twice where Paul refers to him as one of his teachers, but also in an early chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, where Gamaliel actually gives very sound advice and gets Peter and John off the hook because the Sanhedrin wanted to do away with Peter and John. They were looking for an excuse to execute them in in order to get them to stop spreading Christian doctrine. And Gamaliel actually gave what was very shrewd and very righteous advice. And he told the Sanhedrin, Hey, look, if what these men preach come from God, you're not going to stop it. And if it doesn't come from God, then it's not going to succeed. And and he convinced them with that very sound, simple advice. And and it was a very righteous um, way to get the Sanhedrin to look at um, what Peter and John were doing more objectively and to leave them alone. It, It was actually pretty shrewd on Gamaliel's part. He didn't have to stick his neck out as a Christian, and he was able to defuse the, the situation where the Sanhedrin really wanted to do away with Peter and John. And he got them off the hook with some very simple and godly advice. And, and that's the last you hear about Gamaliel in the scripture. So, so he actually gets Peter and John off the hook, and, and that's it. That, that's it. his mentions in the scripture right there. So so I don't see how he could be considered an associate of Paul's in the formation of the Catholic Church. I I mean, that's just, it's so outlandish, it's childish. And and Graeber again proves that his arguments against Paul have no merit whatsoever. Would you like to move on? Because this next one, if, if I could explain it properly, it's really pretty good. It shows that Graeber is an outright liar.
1: That's true. Yes. Reference F2. Speaking of Paul and the people surrounding Paul, we read in Eusebius.
0: Yeah, it's really supposed to be Eusebius, right?
1: Yeah, Eusebius. He doesn't know how to spell. We read in Eusebius, number 6, apparently 6.9 from Eusebius, The History of the Church, translated by G.A. Williamson, published by Penguin Books, 1965, revisions 1989, pages 195 to 196. Note, why doesn't Graeber properly identify his well, source?
0: That note comes from Clifton, right? Graeber calls that this reference in Eusebius, he calls it Eustabius number <laughs> three. Okay? And Clifton actually got the quote and went and tracked it down, right? And he found the quote and he found the Yet, you know, there's several different translations of Eusebius, right? Eusebius was a fourth century Christian. Bishop, who wrote an ecclesiastical history, okay, and, and um, there's several translations of Eusebius's writing available, because Eusebius wrote in Greek originally, so Clifton actually was able to track down which translation of Eusebius Graeber was quoting, and, and Clifton identifies it here as the translation by G.A. Williamson, which was published by Penguin Books in 1965 and revised in 1989, and Clifton identifies the pages, the quotes taken from, of that publication of Eusebius's work, which is pages 195 and 196, which is actually from book six of Eusebius's Ecclesiastical History. And, and that's how it would be quoted. That That's how it would be cited more generally, but Graeber could not. This man's supposedly a doctor, and he could not properly identify the source of the citation of, along any scholarly lines, and, and that says a lot for Graeber also.
1: I have to wonder, wh- where did he get his Ph.D.? From a vending machine?
0: Well, Well, it gets better than that.
1: <laughs> All right, to continue. In their eagerness to find... Not a way to reject depravity in the Jewish scriptures, but a means to explain it away. They resorted to interpretations which cannot be reconciled or harmonized with scriptures, and which provides not so much a defense of the original authors as a fulsome advertisement for the interpreters. Enigmas is the pompous name they have given to the perfectly plain statements of Moses, glorifying them as oracles full of hidden mysteries and bewitching the critical factor should read faculty by their extravagant nonsense. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just having trouble here. There's, every other word is misspelled or it's a mistake, and I'm, I'm almost tripping over the text I'm trying to read. This guy is an idiot. He, he, he can't have a Ph.D.
0: Well, well right, and, and Clifton made a note here that he couldn't even read. So.
1: Graeber can't even spell Ph.D.,
0: Probably not.
1: This is good, though. It just shows you that this man is no scholar. Whatever his day job is, he shouldn't quit it.
0: Well, we'll go on to the next. Um, the next paragraph belongs to Graeber.
1: So, go. oh, Graeber's understanding. It is my understanding from the foregoing research—that's what he's calling it—that indeed it depicts a scenario of betrayal. I ask myself. How can such a man as the professed Apostle Paul indeed be an apostle of Jesus Christ? In light of what his doctrine expounds and what historians have to say of him, how can I justify Paul's hand in the creation of the Roman Catholic Church, nothing more or less than an extension of Babylonian Judaism? Read The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. Jewish influence in the Roman Catholic Church is historically evident from its earliest foundations. The Jewish Pirloni family had three popes on the throne, Gregory the sixth, John Perloni, who bought the throne for six thousand pounds sterling, Gregory the Seventh, Hildebrand Perlone, and Anacletus II, Pietro Perloni. It was the Roman Catholic Church that sent a group of monks from Italy to Jerusalem to establish the monastery of the Order of Zion, which I believe is today manifest in the learned elders of Zion. These are the forces of evil in the world today that are bent upon establishing a Zionist one world government. So I, I wonder If I'm writing a scholarly paper and I write, I believe, idle speculation doesn't make for scholarly research, does it?
0: And and let me say something. You you know, I would bet that Graeber got his information on the Pierlone family from Jacqueline Prince. Because Jacqueline Prince wrote a book which was all about Jews who became popes.
1: Did he cover the Day Medici?
0: I'm not sure because I haven't read the book, but I know that Jacqueline Prince wrote that book. And I would bet Graeber, being so familiar with Jacqueline Prince, probably read that book and got all of this Paul bashing material from it. It's related to this and to Jacqueline Prince.
1: Graeber's done no original research on his own, or else he probably would have come across the De Medici.
0: I don't think he's read the Bible or, or, or any and any other his, real original history books. But let me um, address this, right? That this is treacherous. That this is absolutely, um, incredibly deceptive. Or, Graeber is one of the most, is one of the biggest idiots who ever picked up a pen, okay?
1: Well, I could go for that.
0: Graber is taking a paragraph from Eusebius and he has made the direct assertion here that Eusebius was speaking of Paul when in fact Graeber isn't even quoting Eusebius these words do belong in Eusebius right these words are found in Eusebius chapter 6 okay but there's no and there's no doubt but Graeber is really quoting a known liar who most of the early Christian writers, condemned as such. The paragraph is found, the Graeber quotes is found in Eusebius, and Graeber couldn't cite it properly, which Clifton pointed out. But it's also apparent that Graeber did not check out the context in which the passage was written. He only chose a few short lines that he could force to fit his theory about Paul, and he claims they're written about Paul, but they are not. And they are not the words, they are not the words of Eusebius. This quote, and, and I'm going to reread the quote so that people understand it, and, and I'll probably try to read the corrected version of it. Here Graver says that Eusebius is talking about Paul. And Eusebius supposedly says, in their eagerness to find not a way to reject the depravity in the Jewish scriptures, but a means to explain it away, they resorted to interpretations which cannot be reconciled or harmonized with the scriptures, and which provides not so much a defense of the original offers as a fulsome advertisement for the interpreters. Enigmas is the pompous name they have given to the perfectly plain statements of Moses Glorifying them as oracles full of hidden mysteries and bewitching the critical factory, faculty by their extravagant nonsense. Now, now Eusebius, well, well, Graeber is asserting that Eusebius writes this about Paul. And in truth, and I have the works of Eusebius here in, by a different translator, but, but in truth, The words which Graver quotes do not belong to Eusebius. These words are a quote given by Eusebius attributed to an early anti-Christian writer and perverter of the truth named Porphyry. Eusebius is quoting Porphyry and attributing these words to Porphyry. Now, Porphyry was not speaking about Paul when he wrote these words. Porphyry was speaking about another early Christian writer whose name is quite famous. His name is Origen. Eusebius, when he made this citation from Porphyry, which was written by Porphyry about Origen, and Origen lived from about 185 to 245 A.D., Eusebius considered Porphyry to be a liar and said he was a liar. So Graber, the liar, is relying upon liars and quoting a liar and then lying about who the liar is talking about. It's incredible. It's absolutely unbelievable that anybody could do this. It can be and, and I'm going to read um, I'm going to read the full paragraph that Graeber, that, that Graeber is quoting, I'm going to read the full paragraph, right from Williamson's edition of Eusebius from Book 6, Paragraph 19. And here it
1: is. Just to um, clarify, he's quoting a liar who's lying about another liar, and then he's lying about what the liar's, what the liar's lying about.
0: Yeah, yes, he is. Testimony to his, and Eusebius is referring to Origen the early Christian bishop, right? Testimony to his success in these endeavors is paid by the Greek philosophers who flourished in his time and whose writings I, meaning Eusebius, have found many references to him. Sometimes they dedicated their works to him. Sometimes they submitted their own labors to him as to a master for criticism. Far more significant is the case of Porphyry, who in my own time settled in Sicily and in an attempt to introduce the Holy Scriptures published a long treatise attacking us, in which he refers to those who have interpreted them. He finds it quite impossible to bring any damaging accusation against our doctrines. So for lack of arguments, he turns to abuse introduces the interpreters. His special target is Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N, the early Christian bishop, whom he claims to have known as a young man and attempts to introduce, little knowing that he is actually commending him. When he cannot help it, he tells the truth. When he thinks he will not be found out, he tells lies. That sounds like Graeber,
1: right?
0: Sometimes he accuses him as a Christian. Sometimes he enlarges on his addiction to philosophic studies. Listen to his actual words. Now, now here's the correct reading of the passage that Graeber lied about. And this is Eusebius' quote of porphyry concerning Origen. And I quote, "...in their eagerness to find... Not a way to reject the depravity of the Jewish scriptures, but a means of explaining it away, they resorted to interpretations which cannot be reconciled or harmonized with those scriptures, and which provide us not so much a defense of the original authors as a fulsome advertisement for the interpreters. Enigmas is the pompous name they give to the perfectly plain statements of Moses, glorifying them as oracles full of hidden mysteries and bewitching the critical faculty by their extravagant nonsense. Now, this is where Graeber stopped in his quote. I'm going to read two more lines from the same quote. And Eusebius is still quoting from Porphyry, talking about Origen. This absurd method must be attributed to a man whom I met while I was still young, who enjoyed a great reputation, and thanks to the works he has left behind him, enjoys it still. I refer to Origen, whose fame among teachers of these theories is widespread. So Porphyry said he was referring to Origen that this is Eusebius referring to Paul. It's quite evident from the full disclosure, disclosure of this quote and its context that Graeber's source implies quite the opposite that he would like his readers to believe. Not only that, but this reference which Graeber cites in Eusebius has absolutely nothing to do with the Apostle Paul. It has nothing to do with Paul. The bottom line is Graeber is taking the words of a known liar he presented them as being the truth, and then he took them out of context to apply them to someone whom the liar was not lying about. The liar was lying about origin. Graeber claims that the liar was lying about Paul, but that he was telling the truth. So I, I don't, this is incredible. Graeber is either hopelessly idiotic or he's an accomplished con artist, and he's pulled this con on a large portion of Identity Christianity and Ralph Daigle swallowed the bait. And Gary Blackwell and Jerry Kirk, they swallowed the bait too. Well, and and be, how many other Christian ident- identists that swallowed the bait? But but it's a considerable number.
1: Could it be that Graeber is indeed an accomplished con artist, but he's also a moron who doesn't know how to transcribe a book or quote a source?
0: Well... well you know, could a moron – I mean, he's obviously a moron to me and, and probably to you, too. But but could he be that accomplished of a con artist and still be so much of a moron? I I mean, it's incredible. I can't figure it out. Uh, I would like to meet Mr. Graber. Uh, I think he's dead. I'm not sure. I don't even know his first name.
1: Hmm. I have
0: his book in my hand, and, and the book was only attributed to H. Graber. And it was Ralph
1: Bagel who gave me the book. Well, can we contact the publisher?
0: The book is in in my prison notes, and and I'm not sure if I could even... You know, it's in New York right now. I'd I'd have to dig it out. I don't know who published it. I don't remember. All right. It's actually a booklet, which was an extract from a larger book called How Holy Is Your Bible?
1: Hmm.
0: And that book was very popular in certain identity Christian circles at one time, and and it's sad because this is a significant portion of that book, and and it's full of lies.
1: All right, reference T. Graber states, I believe that contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul teaches a doctrine of socialism and humanism which establishes the foundations for a one-world government. Paul himself tells us in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. If Paul indeed believes this, how does he justify his divergent doctrine from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.20, And unto the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, that I might gain them that are without the law, to them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak become I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. This is an inclusive position for anyone to take. This includes compromise. This includes ignorant arrogance. For how can a mere man be all things to all men? And again, Paul speaks of saving people. Only Jesus Christ can and, and did do that.
0: You know, I've already addressed a lot of these statements in in, in his final in, in his final paragraphs here, and I'm not going to repeat myself. But in in, in the um, here, Gregory criticizes Paul, where Paul is basically only explaining that he tries to speak to people on their own terms, and not with the pretense of superiority and authority that the Jewish rabbis of the first century used to speak to people. And we see that pretense condemned by Christ all throughout the gospel. Yet Graber accuses Paul of ignorant arrogance. And, and, and when Paul says that he could speak to, um, to Judeans as a Judean, and that he could speak to Greeks as a Greek, and and so on. He was only telling the truth. And and it's very um, evident to anybody who's ever read the classics in Paul's writing that Paul was not only schooled in the Old Testament, but he was also schooled in the Greek classics. He quoted them often. He drew allusions from them. He used analogies right from Homer and, and, and other of the classics. He used an analogy from Livy, from Xenophon, from Homer. He he quoted um, Callimachus. He quoted, I believe, he quoted Euripides. He he quoted several of, of, of the five or six Greek classical writers right in the few epistles that we have of his. So he can speak to the Greeks as a Greek. He can speak to the Judeans as a Judean because he had those educations. He understood their learning and their literature. That's that's all he's doing. He can explain Christianity and the reasons why the Greeks should be Christians from the viewpoint of Greek learning and Greek philosophy and, and, and Greek history. He could explain to the Judeans why Christ was the Messiah from the viewpoint of Old Testament Scripture and, and Judean learning and Judean philosophy. So that's all Paul was trying to explain. And, and Graeber is, is finding him dishonest for that Well, when Paul's being perfectly honest because his writing demonstrates that he had that ability. And, and, and anybody who reads those letters objectively would understand Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 through 22. It's very clear. Now, Graber accuses Paul of ignorant arrogance and states that, again, Paul speaks of saving people. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And here it can be demonstrated that Graber is lying once again. It's obvious to me that Graber, while claiming, as he did in the opening (laughs) Um, of of this booklet which he wrote, he claimed to gain, to glean in his word, his spiritual sustenance from James, among other apostles. Graber probably hasn't read James. Let's read James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 from the King James Version of the Bible. The apostle James says, and Graber claims James as one of his spiritual guides, the Apostle James says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So who's a liar? Is Paul a liar or is Graber a liar? Why does Graver? Criticized Paul and not James for making such a statement. Well, while it's evident that Joshua Christ, Yahweh Himself, is the author of our salvation, Paul attests that he attests that in one Thessalonians five nine, in two Timothy two ten, and in his epistle Titus at two eleven, to Titus at two eleven, he also attests it in Hebrews chapter two. And in Hebrews chapter 5, it's also clear that the workman is worthy of his meat and that the children of Israel share in the fruits of their labors, which many parables illustrate. Graber, like the Jews, the Jews who Yahshua reproved time and again, claims to know his scripture, but he is constantly reproved by scripture. That, that's, it's that simple. Language in, Paul, in Romans proves that Paul knew that the Romans were Israelites. Language in 1 Corinthians proves that Paul knew that the Dorian Greeks were Israelites. Language in Colossians proves likewise that they were, the Colossians were being reconciled to Yahweh. They had to be Israelites. History and archaeology supports these claims fully. We've seen a whole thread through this presentation through all of Graver's arguments, the Gravers offended that Paul took the gospel to Gentiles, but Paul didn't go to Gentiles. He never took the gospel to Gentiles, meaning, and Graver uses the term as the Judeo Christians do, meaning non-Jews. Paul took the gospel to the dispersed children of Israel, and it's not Paul's fault that Judeo-Christians, that Jews, and that Graeber don't understand that the people that Paul went to were the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and, and that's you know, evident throughout Graeber's entire presentation. This man is writing on behalf of identity Christians, and he's writing from a totally Judeo-Christian standpoint. He's not Christian identity at all. Or he would never use that language. He would never quote Jews. He's not an identity Christian. And anybody who wants to uphold the Jewish position on the Bible, on the Old Testament, of course, because they don't recognize the New Testament, has to assault Paul of Tarsus and discredit Paul of Tarsus. Only a Jew would become offended that Paul of Tarsus took the gospel to Gentiles if I have to make an argument from the mainstream point of view.
1: Well, Graber buys all that lock, stock, and barrel. He starts from a false premise.
0: And a lot of identity Christians picked this up and ran with it. And, and it's it's a shame. It's a damn shame. And, and we'll see even worse treachery and, and even worse arguments and any even ma- many more arguments built on false pretenses and on bad understanding of Scripture when we address the articles that Clayton Douglas published on behalf of the Paul Bashers in his Free American magazine back um, 10 or 12 years ago.
1: And Graber's work, it says, Dr. H. Graber published by Medical missionaries, Post Office Box 103, Winfield, Kansas. How holy is your Bible? That, that sounds like some fly-by-night scam that some Jew set up. Medical missionaries?
0: Well, well, I really don't know. I, I, I don't want to um, comment on that. I really don't know. I, I don't know. But, but I know a lot of identity Christians picked this material up and ran with it and, and ran off into Paul bashing, and they should have just ran off a cliff. Okay, I don't know. Next week's program will be to be announced. I don't think we want to go right into the Clayton Douglas Paul bashing material, but we will in the near future. It, it's um, it, it's that this Graber material wasn't really. It, it's totally dishonest. It, it's absolutely sophistic, and, and it doesn't merit an address. Certainly in four programs, but it has to be addressed right. because it, it is representative of some of the more popular and what's considered some of the better, but it's absolutely horrible. Paul bashing material out there, and a lot of people that claim to be identity Christians are taken aside with it and led down an evil path.
1: Well, I mean, this material, it's so disgustingly pathetic. There's nothing academic or scholarly to it, and just the the way Graber he, he's such an overt, blatant idiot. this is the first series where I've had to mute myself numerous times while you were reading and speaking because I was just laughing uncontrollably. I, I can't believe that someone could actually misspell the same word four different ways in the same paragraph.
0: Well well, right, that himself a doctor It's horrible, but but it's sad that so many people listen to it, and, and so many people um, were, were taken down the wrong path with it It, it really is sad. But it's happening and and there are Paul Bashers that I know have been listening to this series and and, um, at at least one in particular and I suspect another. And and I hope that they continue to listen and I hope that they consider the things being said and consider the actual essence of of Graver's arguments because they have no merit. None of them have any merit whatsoever.
1: And Not only is the argument without merit, it's just it's coming from a man who's clearly a fraud. I mean, it, it, he just tacks DR in front of his name and claims he has a PhD, but it's clear that, that there's nothing scholarly about the man or any of his writing. It's all just sophistry and poorly spelled at that.
0: Well, well right. It's it's all sophistry or it's patently dishonest, like the quote from Porphyry, which is aimed at Origen, where Origen is the subject of the quote, and, and it appears in the writing of Eusebius and, and Graeber... Um, passes it off as a quote from Eusebius directly, claiming that Paul is the the, the subject, and, and he's absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And all he had to do was read two more lines to see that Origen was the subject of Porphyry's diatribe, and not Paul. Why and are he read we, those two lines? He's a liar. He's a patent liar.
1: Would he have us believe that he just forgot to read those two lines, or he never got it? Because we never got around to it.:
0: well, well, you know, whenever I make a quote from a book, and, and this applies to all my papers, I read the entire context, not just of the page, but, but of the enti- I've read the entire chapter, and, and almost always the entire book. But when I make an assertion from Strabo, I've read all of Strabo, and, and I understand the context of the passage I'm quoting and how it applies. And and it's that scholarship and and just to l- lift a couple of lines from a page and try to apply them to to because they look like they fit your argument that's dishonest by any means and right. and when they certainly don't fit your argument well, well now you're just an outright
1: liar right so Graber has been exposed the mask is off.
0: Well, well, it should be. The man is an outright liar. And and all of this documentation exists on Christagenia in an article, a a very lengthy article, which is broken up into many sections and entitled William Fink versus the Paul Bashers.
1: So if if Graver's the best they have, I mean, where do we go from here?
0: Well, Clayton Douglas, and and his material is
1: um, actually, it's,
0: it seems from my memory, it seems to have been a little more scholarly, at least on the surface, and a little more craftily assembled than the argument, than the Paul Bashing arguments of H. Graber. However, it still doesn't. None of the arguments presented by Douglas hold any merit. They're simply um, more sophisticated lies, for the most part. Now Clayton Douglas took credit for this material, and, and he claimed, he published it. There's no doubt, and and um, I, I have copies of the original pages, and and I worked from copies of the original pages of this Free American magazine where he published this. But Clayton Douglas interviewed me on a radio, actually on two radio programs, and he was supposed to address Paul Bashing, and I found out on those programs that Clayton Douglas really didn't know anything about Paul of Tarsus, that he was not the author of the articles bashing Paul of Tarsus. It was a four-part series, I believe, that he had published, and they were written by somebody else, somebody who is to this day anonymous.
1: So somebody who's not a dope fiend.
0: Well, well, right, And, and Clayton Douglas actually proves himself to be a liar, Publishing articles in his own name that he didn't write, and for some reason did not want to reveal the true source.
1: Well, what if the true source is some guy, you know, Murray Rothstein?
0: Well, well, at one time Clayton Douglas's Free American Magazine. Yet, yeah, you know, Clay Douglas was a he, he. was a correspondent for the Spotlight, and and um, the Spotlight was a popular publication. In identity Christian circles, and and he broke away and had his own little magazine he published called the Free American, and and that was popular in to a lesser degree in the same circles, and and his Paul bashing arguments reached a lot of Christian identity adherents. I don't know if if they actually were um you know it's hard to gauge how many people were actually affected by the treachery. But, again, I know people personally who were, and it has to be addressed.
1: All right.
0: So so we'll get onto to that in the coming weeks, but I'm not sure we're going to get into it next week. We'll, we'll just leave the title to be open, and, and we'll discuss what we're going to cover during the week if, if, if you wish to be here next week. And Absolutely. Aside from that, I will be here next Friday with um, – Luke chapter 21, part 2. Thank you for listening,
1: and praise Yahweh. Good night. Absolutely, thank you. Praise Yahweh, sir.